Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and welcome to Sound Business, a podcast all about sound that talks to some of the most informed people, creative minds and innovative brains in the world of audio. On this episode of the podcast, we're tackling a topic that's very close to my heart, sport. On many levels, sport and podcasting are perfect bedfellows. Fans of both share two major attributes, passion and loyalty. And that commonality is a very small part of what makes this genre such an exciting one. I have three guests on today's panel discussion show who are going to talk about all the great aspects of sport podcasting and digital audio, what we can learn from podcasts that excel in this field, the key things to remember when making sport content and why official rights holders have been so slow to get involved in this space. Very soon you're going to hear from Richard Moore, a sports journalist, author and co-host and founder of The Cycling Podcast, which was started back in 2013. That makes Richard and his team some of the first to really spot the opportunity for podcasting in the sports arena. You're also going to hear from Dylan Pugh, MD of the Sports Industry Group, who recently launched the Sports Podcast Awards and who, with his production company Pomodo, spotted a gap in the market for podcasts presented by big sporting personalities. And you'll hear from Tom Fordyce, who has loads of experience in that area as well. He was one of the founding fathers of the BBC's That Peter Crouch podcast, one of the most successful sport podcasts in the UK. And he's now with the Crowd Network, producing shows such as The Joe Marler Show and The Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. In other words, you've got three individuals who really know their stuff when it comes to sport and audio. So let's get stuck in. Dylan, Tom, Richard, welcome to Sound Business. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Jim. How are you? Looking forward to today's conversation. Particular interest point for me, sport audio in the digital space particularly, and the potential it has for rights holders, for sports personalities, and for people who have an interest in sport as well. Loads to get through on today's podcast. Richard, I want to start with you because the cycling podcast that you create was one of the original UK sports podcasts. It launched back in 2013. I'm interested to know what it was you saw. What was the opportunity that you spotted that made you want to launch that podcast in the first place? Well, it was a push and a pull, really, because it was also what we didn't see. What we didn't see were many more years of freelancing for magazines and newspapers as we'd been doing. I launched it with uh, colleagues Lionel Burney and Daniel Freib, and I was a freelance journalist. I think they both were as well at that point. And, you know, we were just very aware that the the landscape was changing. And I don't think we saw podcasting as the saviour for us at all. I think we just thought it could be something else, another string to add to our bow and potentially a source of income, but we really didn't know at that point. And yeah, I mean, going to that 2013 Tour de France, I think the, 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 the issue of the freelancing opportunities drying up became more stark because Lionel and I lost a gig that we thought we had. And the podcast was born out of that, actually. It was, well, what will we do now? We were both covering the tour for newspapers, but we wanted to do something else as well so we we launched the podcast and, and we managed to get some basic sponsorship from sharp a very modest sponsorship it was but it was enough to ensure our commitment to it to justify doing it every night we'd podcasted sporadically before then but we hadn't made a real commitment to doing one every night and we felt that if it was to have any chance of success at all it had to be regular people had to be able to rely on it rather than just having one drop into their 
podcast feed on a sort of ad hoc basis. So we, we thought, right, you know, same principles as a newspaper or a magazine, it has become part of somebody's habit. And that was our thinking going into that 2013 Tour de France. But we could never have imagined what it would become and how big a part of our working lives it would it would go on to fill. So coming from print journalism, did you see audio? Did you look at audio and go, well, there's something special. There's a great way to deliver messages, to talk about sport within audio. Was it purely for you the convenience? It was a an easy to, at the time, it was a relatively kind of easy access point medium that you could use to continue to talk to your audience. I wasn't a huge consumer of podcasts myself at the time. I got into writing because I loved writing. I loved reading and I loved writing. And I, audio was not the same for me. It was something that I found I enjoyed doing rather than enjoyed consuming. And and over time since then, I've certainly become a far greater consumer of audio. And, you know, I've, I've developed hopefully an appreciation for it that I didn't have when we launched. But from doing podcasting a little bit before then, what I'd found was that it was a, a very a very free kind of space. It was also a, a place where we could indulge our humor a bit more than we could in mm. print. You know, print is very, can be very serious. And, and in the sport that we cover, cycling, it had been dogged for quite a few years by doping scandals and, you know, questions about the integrity of, of the sport. And that that's a serious subject. And when you're dealing with it in print, you have to be pretty straight and pretty serious. In audio, we could deal with that and be serious when it was appropriate, but also we could be humorous and, and be lighthearted. It's just a freer medium. And we, we felt quite liberated by that, you know, that we could indulge our humor, share rumors and share speculation that we could never have done in, in print. So it was fun. And I think that was a key factor. We, we enjoyed it. And as we built an audience, it was clear that the audience enjoyed that part of it too. They they enjoyed feeling that they were just listening in on quite a casual conversation. The nature of, you know, doing a podcast at the Tour de France, for example, is that you are finding somewhere to record. You don't, you don't take a studio with you. You know, you can be recording by the bins outside the press room or Oh, the glamour of podcasting. So there's some background, <laughs> yeah, there's some background noise that we like to call atmosphere. But that was, that was part of it too. It was that ability... That, that gave us to transport people to the, the place where we were. It made it easier to take them on, mm. on a virtual journey with us. And that's always been a big part of what we do. So there were there were loads of elements. There was the humor, there was the travel aspect. There was just so much texture to the audio productions right from the start, really. And I, I think by the end of that 2013 tour, we really felt this was a lot of fun. There are a lot of people listening. Let's see where it goes. But we couldn't have imagined how it would develop at all. Now, Tom, I want to talk to you about some of your work. You're with the Crowd Network now, working with a few sports stars making their audio products. But I want to delve back at the start of your CV and talk about the early days and the launch of that Peter Crouch show with BBC Sounds, which I believe when it begun was the original concept was it was a way to promote Peter's autobiography. In those early days, when you had those meetings with big BBC executives, what were the expectations of the show at that point? I'm assuming the expectation wasn't for it to become one of the world's biggest sport podcasts. It originally came, Jim, from I was writing Crouchy's book. He had done one many years before and it was very straight-laced and didn't really reflect his character. So I'd been working on a different book, which had a slightly different format. So rather than being a straight-laced and chronological autobiography, it was divided into topics. 
because I felt that was the best way we could get into stories. And I would go down to the hotel that he used to stay at when he's playing for Stoke. And we'd have a bit of tea and talk over these topics and I'd record it. And I'd get home and my partner has absolutely no interest in football, but I would be playing her chunks of the conversations we had had from the Holiday Inn at Junction 15 of the M6. And we'd be laughing our heads off. So when I went to see my then editor on Five Live, uh, Mike Carr, who's now CEO of Crowd Network, actually it was a really simple pitch because he understood that if you're going to do podcasts based around sports stars, it's less about what that sports star has done, although they need to have achieved a certain amount, and it's more about how relatable they are. Mm. It's more how we feel about them. So if we think they're superstars, but they're nothing like us, it's really hard to feel warm and engaged. But if they are capable of viewing their sport as we do, so if they've still got an element of the fan about them, then it works. And that podcast began really based on the same episodic structure as the book. And actually, I was the one who, because I'd done a few podcasts before and I'd done um, a cycling one at the BBC called Bespoke, where me and Richard and our respective teams would sometimes line up in the same restaurants uh, or press rooms at the Tour de France, uh, like the rival teams on Anchorman. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, but, the, but our editors were saying very early on, this could be massive, this podcast. And I was slightly taken by surprise, particularly when we used to record it. We just used to sit in the pub and have a few beers and talk for sometimes two or three hours. And thanks to the, the incredible editing that makes any podcast outstanding, you'd listen back to it and you think, God, that sounds much better than I remember. And it just seemed to hit a chord at that particular point. I think for a lot of people, it seems to have been, rightly or wrongly, their first podcast and their, and their sort of entry into that space. It did, as you say, all those things really well. It took a lot of the rules that people who have worked in radio know makes good audio. It's like personal, relatable content. But one of the other things I think it did really well and contributed to its success potentially further down the line was it created a real sense of community amongst its audience and not just in terms of the way the audience interacted with itself online and on social media but also in terms of putting physical events on at some times as well was that really deliberate did you think about that carefully in terms of harboring that community amongst your listeners yeah we did absolutely and it's it's a lesson that we've we've used for subsequent podcasts as well so the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club, which we launched a year and a half ago, we've done two series of that now. The, you know, we knew that there were other great cycling podcasts out there, namely Richards, and we knew we had to do something different. And the different thing we could do was, whereas it's Richard and Lionel and Daniel all talking with great expertise about cycling, we thought, well, Geraint is a bit crouchy in that he is an elite sports person who has won the greatest prize in his sport, the Tour de France, but he is still very down to earth and relatable and there is a warmth towards him from the public that is probably greater than some riders who have maybe achieved arguably more than him, um, certainly in terms of Tour de France wins. So we thought, well, how do we tap into that? And we thought about the concept of what initially was a virtual cycling club, which is why we called it the GTCC. And then it was that idea of building a community where everyone who listened was a member of that club and you could buy jerseys, GTCC jerseys. We have a weekly group ride on Zwift, which is the online cycling app, where you can wear a virtual GTCC jersey. And then we appoint listeners as road captains, which basically means they organise actual physical events in their area. So it might be watch a big race on TV, it might be go out for a long ride, it might be have a little coffee. So that sense of community was, was absolutely essential to it because I think that is the secret of really good podcast that a listener isn't just a passive consumer of it that they genuinely feel invested in it and they understand the in jokes and they understand the fun and it's it's their podcast as much as it is your podcast 
it's an increasingly important area of podcasting is what happens around the podcast rather than just in that half an hour, 45, one hour of audio. Dylan, Tom mentioned a couple of people he's worked with there in Peter Crouch and Geraint Thomas, who are stars of sport, who have gone into the podcasting space. You've been through a similar experience with your time on Pomodo. What's the opportunity there for these sports stars? Is it that it's a side hustle? Is it that it's a potential way to increase your status and find a way into mainstream media? What's the what, what's the main pull for these sports stars who are looking to get involved in the podcast space? You know, I think traditionally it probably was a bit of a side hustle before, but now I think a lot of athletes are seeing this as an opportunity, whether it is an incremental revenue side, but, you know, what they need to understand. And I think there's a bit of a false perception in the podcast market is that it's, you know, it's a pot of gold that's going to deliver a huge amount of money for a sports star on the side. While I'm sure these guys will attest, it takes a long time to build a hit in the podcast world. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time to build your audience and build that community before, you know, the, the money comes in afterwards. So I think the key thing for any athlete is they have to be committed to it and do it properly. They can't just dip their toe into it and say, you know, I'm just going to do a podcast on the side because that's not going to work. That's not going to be very successful. It's definitely a good way into the broadcasting space for an athlete. It's a low barrier to entry medium. It, it allows their personality to come to the fore and allows the fans to see different sides to these people where they're not constrained by the, the PR teams in whatever club they play for. I, I still think, though, that from a UK perspective and specifically from a football perspective, I'm not quite sure whether the market is ready for a mainstream current footballer to have a podcast because they will just get hammered in the medium by the fans as soon as they start to make perhaps underperform on the field. I know there's a couple of anomalies like Crouchy was probably still a player when, when he launched his podcast and I know that Ben Foster is doing very good now but they're kind of towards the twilight of their careers. Definitely other sports are a lot more forgiving in that sense so it works with you know rugby and cycling and cricket you know whether it's Joe Marler, Danny Kerr from a rugby perspective and there's a couple of the big name cricketers got good podcasts these days. So it's still, still a massive opportunity for current athletes. But I still think from a football perspective, I'm not sure whether the market over here in the UK is quite ready for that, which is disappointing, I think, because the fans crave more information from these stars. They want to see a different side to their personality. So the appetite is there. But I think the media is making that a bit difficult for footballers. Well, is that one of the appeals potentially to sports stars as well? I mean, we live in this world where our sporting stars need to be so sanitised. They don't want to upset chairmen. They don't want to upset sponsors. And actually, podcasting provides them a way to have a voice, to have an opinion, to have a personality, whether it's at the tail end of their careers or immediately afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And it's massively refreshing to hear, just going back to the cricket podcast that Ben Stokes and Stuart Broad did around the Ashes. You know, it's really refreshing to hear their opinion in quite a laid back, relaxed way where they're not too bothered about getting in trouble. You know, the fans craved to, to get that behind the scenes, different side personality to these athletes they see on the TV. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in that and that current sports stars and athletes should be utilising podcasts as a medium to get their voice heard. Richard, what do you see as the main pulling points for your podcast or sports podcasts in general? I think across the medium of podcasts, there's certain boxes that get ticked in terms of what you're giving an audience, companionship, education, entertainment. Is it those kind of three main elements with sport or are there other things that need to be considered in there as well? 
I think it's depth. I think you can, you know, coming from a print background, you're really constrained in, in print, usually writing for a newspaper or a magazine. You've got a quite a small box to fill with your words. And the number of words we talk in a, in a course of a podcast is probably a couple hundred thousand, you know. So the depth you can go into is a huge advantage. And I think speaking about my sport, cycling in particular, we, we kind of struck gold in a way because we came along at a time when interest was growing, certainly in, in the UK, and that audience wasn't really all that well served by the, the media. And I think also that audience was wanting to be educated and informed and entertained as well. But it's quite a complicated sport where it can be hard in a 700 or 800 word article in The Guardian to really put across all the, the things that are going on in the Tour de France, for example. Whereas in a 30 or 40 minute podcast, you can really get under the skin of mm. it and get into the, the nitty gritty and, and, and also talk about the personalities and some of the circus-like aspects of the sport, which is a huge part of our podcast. So I think the depth, the, the depth you can go into in audio is just it makes it in some ways superior to print, which is not something I ever imagined myself saying a while ago. <laughs> but it, it, it really, you know, and, and I'm the, for, for me now in, in my consumption of podcasts, you know, subjects like, you know, Brexit or Ukraine, because my podcast appetite is overwhelmingly kind of politics and things like that, because I don't really fully understand it. And I find podcasts a very good way to help me understand some pretty complicated things a lot better. But going back to what you were saying earlier, you know, I don't want to make it sound very serious. I think the, the community aspect that Tom was talking about as well is so important. And, you know, that, that took us by surprise. Again, coming from a print background, you didn't get the same reaction to print articles. Generally, you get, you know, negative responses to print. The podcast has been completely different. The type of engagement we get, the type of reaction we get from people is so completely different. And the warmth is quite striking and the feeling that people have of being part of your community even being your friend and this sort of correspondence we have been getting it's always surprising it's incredibly heartwarming and it increased a lot actually during covid and during lockdown when we we carried on producing our podcast even though there was no racing we had to be quite creative we created our own sort of events and things and suddenly the types of you know emails and things we were getting just changed and it felt like it was a source of comfort for people mm. as well as entertainment. And and that, that was really surprising and quite moving to read some of the, the emails we were getting. So that sense of community and feeling people feeling like they're part of your gang, part of your group is a hugely important factor as well. Rich mentioning a couple of the elements there that he feels makes a successful, good sport podcast, Tom. You've name-chipped a couple of very successful shows you've been involved with already, Peter Crouch and Joe Marler and Geraint Thomas. If you were going to pick one element that you think makes a good sports podcast great, what do you think that element is? It's a good question. I think that the point I made earlier, the fact that the, the star has to be believable, they have to be genuinely warm, because you can't fake warmth on air. Mm. You can't pretend to be empathetic if you're not. So I think I think that makes a huge difference. Richard's absolutely right. If there is a deeper connection there, so let's say with the Joe Myler show, because Joe has been quite vocal about his own issues with mental health, and we've covered that aspect, or that ju that just naturally crops up on the show quite a lot, then we find that we get incredible messages from listeners who, as Richard says, have, have either gone through a difficult time during 
uh, lockdown or they might be struggling and they feel that they can talk to Joe about it or there's a safe space to talk about some things and that they have other people around them who are going through the same thing. So I think that sense of warmth is essential to it. And I think the other thing is just because there are so many podcasts out there and there's a, a vast number of sports podcasts, you've got to find your own niche. You've got to find something that hasn't been done. I mean, there would have been no point, for example, in Geron and me trying to replicate the fantastic work that Richard and Daniel and, and Lionel do because it's, it's been done brilliantly already. And with the Joe show, the Joe Marler show, we knew there were already so many rugby shows out there, which are really, really good. And actually, Joe spends his whole life thinking about rugby. So the premise that worked for us was a man who has only done rugby in his life explores the rest of the world and talks to fascinating people who you've never heard of. Tattoo artists, trauma surgeons, mm. doctors, deep sea divers, submariners, all these sort of different parts of the world that are fascinating if you ask the right questions, but actually have nothing to do with rugby whatsoever. And that's made a much better podcast because Joe talking about rugby is fine, but there are a lot of players talking about rugby, but there aren't many other England props who are talking to a homeless person or a sex worker or a hotel manager. It's that little space that you create, I think, which is essential as well. I guess that goes back to depth, like Richard was saying as well. Richard was talking about the depth of content and being able to go deeper. But actually what you're talking about, Tom, is a different type of depth. It's a depth to personality and a depth to content. And it's not just three blokes sitting around a microphone. You get those proper, like the, the, the refugees episode that Joe did recently, where he's talking to recent people who have been through those experiences. It creates those heartwarming moments that you don't get in the kind of laddie, laddie sports culture. No, you don't. And I think also with podcasts, there is an intimacy to them, isn't there? Because when you have a TV on, you can do other things with the TV in the background. And I think radio, to a certain extent, is a background thing. But most of us consume our podcasts through headphones, don't we? Mm. And it might be on a journey. It might be on a journey to work. It might be on a morning dog walk. It might be on a commute. But they're intimate things because they are directly in our ears. And the podcast has to feel intimate as well. It almost has to feel like you are sitting in on that conversation so if it's me and joe chatting to gulwali the afghan refugee it's got a feel for the listeners like they're sitting there alongside us and i'm sure that's the same for you richard it's it's you know that one of the lovely things about your show is as you say people feel part of the conversation with you and daniel and lionel don't they i hope so yeah i, I don't know if that's something you can try and contrive it just either happens or it doesn't you know and, and chemistry is important and i think yeah. we, we've got somehow even though we didn't actually know each other all that well when we started there was something there there was something complementary in each of our personalities i think and uh somehow works and we you know we do a, a monthly women's cycling podcast as well with a different team and it, it's very different the mix of personalities makes the makes the show quite different which is interesting Dylan, other qualities that Tom and Richard have mentioned here in terms of what makes a great podcast something that you recognise recently with your role at the Sports Industry Group, you've launched the Sport Podcast Awards, recognising great sports content in the podcasting space. You've had your eyes and your ears on a load of different titles. Are the qualities they mention what makes the good ones really stand out? Yeah, absolutely. It's been fantastic to see just the amount of different styles of podcasts that are out there around the world. You know, I, I kind of find as a consumer of sports podcasts, I'm fairly limited sometimes in the amount of podcasts I'm being exposed to on the likes of your Apple podcast or, or Spotify or wherever. But doing these awards and seeing the amount of entries come in from around the world just goes to show how many people are out there as a sports podcaster, either professionally or just as a bit of a hobby on the side. So it's been fantastic to see that. And I think the, the one thing that I would add to what the guys have already mentioned is that I think it's important that the 
podcasters themselves are opinionated. They have an opinion on something and it works well if there's different opinions on that podcast as well. Because going back to what you said about it feeling like you're just listening into a bunch of people down the pub chatting about a shared passion, there will be different perspectives and different opinions. And I think it's important that a podcast does have those different perspectives and different opinions because that would happen down a pub when a bunch of guys chatting about their favourite football team. You know, there would be many different opinions. And I think it's important that a podcast reflects that because people can sit back and listen and feel as though they're in the room with these people involved in that discussion themselves. Do you still feel like there's growth here dylan you mentioned the amount of podcasts that are in this space at the moment there's a lot of people saying our oh, podcasting's too saturated which is a weird thing to say because no one says that about books when they walk into a library they don't go there's too many books nobody should write any more books anymore it seems to be treated very different but is there still space for more shows and if that is the case how do you carve out that niche how do you what levers do you pull if you haven't got a massive marketing budget or a big name star how do you find your audience how do you make yourself successful yeah, it's tricky. It, it's a good analogy to books, but the difference being is that you can go to a library and you can search for multiple different books and they're, they're visible there. Whereas in the podcasting instance, it's largely dependent on either the, the sort of the front page of Apple or Spotify or the algorithms to, to serve you something that's similar to your taste. But often it's the same podcast that gets surfaced and it's very difficult to actually discover new podcasts. So it is tricky, you know, everything the guys have said about building an audience and building a community is important, but that's tough to do for smaller grassroots podcasters. In terms of the saturation of the market, I think during lockdown, there was a huge wave of new entrants to the market, whether it's new publishers or new sort of athletes at the top level or just new grassroots podcasters. I do think a lot of those podcasts may have fizzled out already or probably will fizzle out as they realise that, shit, it takes a lot of work to actually build an audience and make this a true thing. And they maybe thought that it was a fun thing to do during lockdown and their enthusiasm has waned a little bit and some of those may fizzle out. But I definitely think that those who are doing it properly with a clear strategy and with the patience and the perseverance to continue doing so will see success in the long run. I want to spend the last portion of this podcast looking to the future a little bit and getting your opinion on how the market's going to change and who's going to enter the space over the next couple of years. Starting with you, Richard, because I think it's interesting where you've come from the cycling podcast, because cycling, I think, is the perfect example of a sport where there isn't much official content. Rights holders aren't taking advantage of the space. And I think that's probably true across most sports, football, rugby, whatever it is, there's very few official rights holders that are taking advantage of the podcasting space. And it's similar to what we saw with the video space as well. They've allowed these fan casts, and I think Arsenal TV is the perfect example of this, where Arsenal TV stole the Arsenal fan-based audience on YouTube and in video format, and then Arsenal kind of realised they were missing a trick, didn't like the way they were being represented by fans online, and kind of swooped in and had to take legal action to kind of pause that and stop the association to a certain extent. So I guess rights holders are opening themselves up to that risk at the moment by not getting involved in the audio space. But why haven't they? Why are they reluctant to take the plunge into this area? Well, you see them taking the plunge and then clambering out again. Um, and I think, you know, uh, it's interesting what Dylan was saying there, because I remember, you know, in our early days when we really weren't sure whether the commitment we were making would be worth it. A friend of mine said it was like throwing pebbles in a river. You know, for a long time, you don't see anything. And then suddenly one day you've got a bridge. And <laughs> for a while, all the investment, all the time we were spending on the podcast didn't seem to be bringing any real benefits and then you know one day in about 2016 the bridge was before us and we haven't really looked back since 
but commitment is everything. I mean, we launched in 2013 and not to not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but we haven't missed a single episode since. You know, we've produced an episode every single week and we've covered every grand tour since 2016. And, and nobody else has managed to do that because it's really hard to commit like that and to to remain committed. So I've seen the rights holders come in and dabble in podcasting, commit quite well for a period of time and then disappear again. And if you don't commit long-term, you know, any community that you build up, you lose very quickly, I think. So consistency is absolutely key. I, I mean, I, I think cycling is a very interesting sport in this regard because it's a small sport globally. It's a niche sport, but the niche is quite big. And the people in that niche are very, very passionate about it and very underserved. They're about to get the Netflix Drive to Survive treatment. Netflix are coming in and doing a, a version of Drive to Survive at the Tour de France this year. That will be really interesting, I think, both in terms of serving that audience and, and you know attracting new people. So it's still, it remains very exciting for us. I wouldn't like to be launching a podcast now, though. I'm very glad we did it when we did it. We got in at just the right time. I think it, it would be really really hard to launch a podcast now because I think, and this this sort of links to Tom's point about intimacy, radio, audio, it is a very intimate medium and it's a medium where people are incredibly loyal. And we see this in radio over many, many years. And there's a, a famous Terry Wogan quote that I really like, which I read in one of his obituaries, which was, he said, television is all about innovation. Radio is all about repetition. And I think that applies obviously to podcasts as well. The repetition, the continuity, the consistency is how you build an audience. But as is suggested by those words, it's hard and it takes a long time. Mm. I guess from an official slash rights holder perspective, Tom, one of the things that you highlighted earlier is the key superpower of podcasting, the authenticity of the individuals involved can be a challenge because if you're, say, for example, a Premier League football club who's experiencing a run of bad results, your podcast can't really reflect that. You can't have people from an official channel going off and criticising the manager or the tactics or the player. Does that mean that these people who are exploring the space, and Richard highlighted there, they kind of explore it a little bit, put a toe in and then quickly exit again. Do they need to be taking a more creative route? Do they need to look at what you're doing at the Crowd Network with the likes of Geraint Thomas and Joe Marlow and kind of go, well, that's the blueprint. We can still talk about our sport and our club, but we need to look at it from a slightly different point of view. They certainly have to be braver, Jim, than they are at the moment because that desire from media organisations or, or sporting organisations to control the narrative. With a podcast, it's the opposite. You are being as honest as you can and you're getting an insight that you wouldn't get elsewhere. If you look at the big football podcasts, none of the big football podcasts come from big football clubs. They're much more likely to be almost an adaptation of the old fanzine model where you have fans who are obsessed with that topic talking in a way that other fans can relate to. So it's definitely a challenge. And on that point that Richard made about how you build it and how you would launch a pod now, I absolutely agree that you've got to have a long-term plan. It's the easiest thing in the world to start a podcast. That's why there are trillions and billions out there. But it's really hard to sustain them. You, you find a lot of podcasts where there is great material for one series or maybe eight or nine episodes and then they fall off a cliff. So you have to have that long-term vision and you have to have that commitment, as Richard says, to make sure that your podcast becomes part of people's daily lives. You know, the big podcast, people know which day it's going to pop onto their phone and they look forward to it. And they know that they're going to be having their breakfast coffee listening to a particular show. And that takes time. And if that doesn't happen or if the podcast misses a couple of weeks or if it is there for 10 weeks and then disappears for a year, you don't get those ingrained habits. So I think that's, that is a really, really important part of it. If people, whether it's 
football clubs, sports organisations, media organisations are thinking about getting this, this crowded space. What is your long-term vision? Have you got the, the right vision? Is it something different and is it sustainable? Dylan, I'll let you have the final word with your view on the podcasts that have come into the awards that you've been running. Have you spotted any particular growth areas, maybe in podcasting, maybe in digital audio? How do you see the next few years panning out in terms of the sports space? Well, I guess the, the one thing to note on what's just been said is that audio consumption is going to continue to grow and grow and grow. So, yes, it will be tricky for uh, any new podcast launching today, but there will be more people listening to more audio over the next five, ten years. That's, that's going to continue to grow of that, I'm, I'm certain of. And also the similarities between podcast fans and sports fans are that they're incredibly loyal and passionate, as you guys have just said. So they crave, you know, hearing people talk about the thing they love and also they crave talking about it themselves as well. So podcasting and audio is the perfect medium to facilitate that, both for people wanting to discuss their passion, which is their sport, but also wanting to listen in on other people's opinions on that sport. So I definitely think there's huge room for, for growth. I do think... From the Sports Podcast Awards perspective, it's been interesting with the global nature to see the difference between the US market and the UK market. You know, go back to the rights holders earlier. You look at someone like the Dallas Cowboys in the US have six official podcasts. That's just the Dallas Cowboys themselves. Six official different podcasts that they have as a franchise. Compare that to, like we said over here, many of the rights holders don't even have, or the Premier League teams don't even have a podcast. I guess Man United being probably the biggest one of all of those. So I definitely think there's room to grow in that space. I also think that the the podcasting landscape from a sports perspective over here can be a little bit more immediate. You know, quite often you have to wait until, you know, Tuesday to be able to get your favourite podcast to to hear the the opinions from the weekend's matches. So I definitely think that could become a lot more immediate and I'm very interested to see what happens in the social audio space as well. There's a lot of noise being done around Twitter and Facebook and Spotify with, with their green room. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens in that space. I definitely don't think it's something that has certainly hasn't gained traction here in the UK. But I think sport lends itself perfectly for that live audio space. But I'm interested to see who owns that and takes it further over the next 12 to 18 months. Dylan, Richard, Tom, joy to speak to you on Sound Business. Thanks very much for your time. All the projects that have been mentioned across this podcast, you'll be able to find the links to those in the podcast description. I suggest you go and check them out because there's some brilliant examples of sport podcasting done at the highest level within those shows. But boys, thank you very much for your time on Sound Business. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Many thanks to Dylan, Tom and Richard and you can find all the links to their social media channels and the projects that they mentioned in this podcast in the podcast description. There is hours of brilliant listening within those links. Plus, if you want to continue this conversation and you're in the UK, I will be in London for the podcast show 2022. We're going to be hosting a live episode of Sound Business with a focus on digital audio and podcasting for sport and the opportunity there is there for individuals, brands and rights holders to get involved. That's taking place in Islington on the 25th and 26th of May. If you haven't got your tickets yet or you want to find more information, again, you'll find the links to that in the podcast description. And finally, if you already create a sport podcast, then it's well worth checking out the work that VoiceWorks do with our Sport Social Podcast Network, a dedicated sport audio network which helps creators grow, monetize and market their shows. 
as well as offering production and editorial support to sporting stars who want to make a name for themselves in this space and rights holders who want to engage fan bases with audio. Once again, if any of that applies to you, check the description for details and please do get in touch. If you've not done so already, click subscribe so you never miss an episode of Sound Business. There is loads more interesting stuff going on in the world of audio that we'll be talking about very soon. And if you've clicked that follow button, you will never miss an episode. I'll see you next time.